So uh, this past weekend, actually a few days ago, uh, me and, and my wife Katie were playing a game with our daughter Andre. Actually, she, she brought the game to us and we played with her. The game was this. She has a little like mask, kind of like a superhero type mask where the eyes are cut out and it's kind of like along there. And what she would do is she had it like on her forehead and then she would pull it down and then she would be like, where's Andre? And we're like, we don't know where Andre is. We see, this is a superhero in front of us now. I can't remember the name of the superhero, but she was right there. And then she would pull it up be like, oh, there's Andre. Now we see her and then she'd pull it down again. And where's Andre? Oh, we just see this, this new superhero there. And we Played, with, played that for a handful of times. And, and maybe you've done something similar with young kids in your life where they're like, hey, come and find me, I'm hiding. And, and you look on the bed and there's a clump of blankets and there's a big mound. And you're like, where are you? I can't see you. Uh, and then they poke their head out and they're like, oh, there you are. And, and you play this game of hide and seek or, or they put on a disguise and you're like, oh, I don't see you anymore. Uh, and I bring that up because sometimes in life, and, and maybe you've experienced this in, in the recent years, especially where, where more and more people wear masks for a variety of reasons. It can sometimes be, be easy to disguise ourselves and to hide ourselves when we're kind of out and about. Um, just to let you know, pastors, um, we can kind of do this sometimes because um, sometimes you may see me out in the wild, right? I know I've seen some of you guys out in the wild, like out at Meyer or out at wherever, and it's almost startling to be like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't recognize you because you're not standing up front. And for the early service, I wear like the alb and the stole. And there are some people who are like, I've literally never seen you really outside of wearing this big white dress. Uh, and so it can be startling, but what can happen sometimes is we can be like in disguise, even though we're right in front of you. Especially, you know, wear a ball cap, wear some sunglasses, and, and people could look right past me, even though I see you, quite often. We can be in disguise sometimes and, and, see, and not see people right in front of us. And I bring this up because sometimes in life, maybe you've asked this question, why does it seem like God is hiding? Why does it seem like sometimes God isn't near, or at least I try and look for him, and I can't see him, and it seems like God is hiding. It seems like God is far away, or I have no idea where he is. Maybe you've been that place in your life, and and much like a disguise, you wonder, God, where are you? Why aren't you showing yourself to me? Why aren't you being clear with me? I bring that up because in the story of Luke 24, this is one of those face-to-face encounters with the risen Jesus. And, and we're in this series called Face-to-Face where we're looking at a handful of these face-to-face encounters of Jesus after he rose from the dead and with his disciples, with a number of people that he interacted with. And we're kind of looking at the stories and then reflecting upon what they mean for us in our day. And we see this story, and if you've grown up in church, I'm, I'm sure you've probably heard this story in one way, shape, or form about these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it really kind of puts at the forefront this question of, of God hiding. And and why does sometimes it seem like he hides? So to kind of recap the story for you, um, this is, uh, you know, the Sunday of Easter. This is just after Jesus rose from the dead that morning. And there's two of his disciples 
who, who were part of kind of a larger group of people who followed Jesus, who listened to Jesus, who saw him. And, and they are leaving Jerusalem, and they're going back to their hometown of Emmaus, which was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And so what they're doing is they're walking from Jerusalem to home, and, and we pick up the sense that they are, they are quite sad and dejected. And they're talking to one another about the events of the weekend, about how Jesus rode into town on Palm Sunday and how it culminated in him being crucified on, on what we know as Good Friday, but, but he was crucified and buried, and they're reflecting upon that. And as they're doing that, a stranger walks up to them. Well, it was a stranger to them, but we know with hindsight um, that it was actually Jesus. And, and it was like when you're on the highway and you have your cruise control on, and someone comes up behind you, and you're like, all right, let me let them pass me. And then they pass you, and then they go in front of you, but then they start slowing down. You know that game? where They're like, all right, you go in front. Now I'll go in front. And you go back and forth a little bit. That was kind of what Jesus was doing. As they're walking along the path, he's kind of like walking near them. And so they very much got the picture of like, okay, this guy is getting close to us. And Jesus, in disguise comes up to them, and they have no idea it's Jesus. There's like this supernatural force that is limiting them from seeing that it's Jesus. He just comes up to them, and he hears what they're talking about, and he says, what are you guys talking about? Which is kind of funny that Jesus is asking them that question. And then they look at this man, who they don't know is Jesus, and they say, are you the only person that doesn't know what happened, because they're both walking from Jerusalem. Everybody knew what happened. It was public. Everybody knew about it. So they're looking at this guy, and they're like, are you the only person in the entire city that doesn't know what's happening? And then Jesus just looks at them and says, what happened? Which is funny, and it's meant to be funny. You're meant to laugh at how Luke is describing this, because if anybody knows what actually happened, Jesus knows, and he's, he's being funny with them. He's playing along with them of like, well, what things happened? And then they start going through the story, and they said, listen, there was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and we thought, we had hoped that he was the one. He was the Savior. We had hoped in him. And maybe you've been in a time in your life where you think to yourself, I had hoped, fill in the blank. You had hoped this relationship would have gone a different way. You had hoped that job would have come through. You had hoped, fill in the blank. That's what they were feeling. They had, they had hoped in this Jesus, and it seemed that everything was lost because he was crucified and buried and they thought to themselves, well, it's over. It's done with. Because when people die, that's it. And we thought he was the Savior, but I guess he wasn't. And as they're walking along, they're expressing this to them. And then Jesus, he kind of gives them a Bible study. He says, oh, foolish ones, which he isn't trying to beat them down, but he's making them aware of, like, listen, this is, this is, was, this was foretold about. This was known in the scriptures. And then he opens up the scriptures, it says. He opens up the scriptures and like a puzzle piece, he begins to put it all together and lets them see that, that this Jesus, 
He really was the Savior. He really is the one that was promised. He really is the Savior of the world, and he puts the pieces together for them. He leads them in a Bible study. How many of you would love to be in a Bible study with Jesus leading it? I would. They got it, but they had no idea it was Jesus. And then they're continuing along, and they get to a fork in the road, and and their hometown, Emmaus, is right there, and, and they're about to go there. And then Jesus, it says that, that Luke says he acted as if he was going to continue kind of going the other way, kind of continue on to the next town. He does one of those things that you do of like, well, I guess I'll go get going on my way. And you just kind of wait for the other person to respond. And that's kind of what Jesus was doing. And they said, whoa, it's, it's really late. Come and stay with us. We'll, we'll put you up. It's late. It's unsafe come and stay with us. And so they bring Jesus into their home, not knowing it's Jesus. They share a meal, and then it says that Jesus blessed some bread and broke it. And in that moment, they saw him. And they recognized him. That this is the risen Jesus. He's here. He's alive. And then just as quickly as they recognize him, he, he just disappears. He's gone. And they, they are so overwhelmed that it says their hearts burned when they listened to his words and he opened up the scriptures and they're filled with so much joy that all of a sudden what they do, in the middle of the night, they run back the seven miles, <laughs> back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples because they're filled with so much joy over seeing that Jesus is alive. So really the question we're asking as we look at these accounts is what does this have to do with us? Why does this matter for our life today? What is something that we can take and apply in our life? There's a handful of things from this story. The first is this, is that Jesus promises that he will reveal himself at a pace you can absorb. Jesus reveals himself at a pace that you can absorb. Um, contrary to popular belief, pastors who go to undergrad, go to master's degree and go get our master of divinity and spend, you know, hours upon hours listening to people, reading books, studying the scriptures, we don't know everything. And, and you probably have realized that listening to me, like, Pastor Andy does not know everything. I know, you probably already get that. But sometimes we can think about pastors and holy people is like, wow, they kind of know everything about God. And, and here's the truth, like, we don't. That, that there will never reach a point, whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five decades, where you will know everything about Jesus. And, and here's his promise, and here's his invitation, is that, that being a follower of Jesus is a lifelong process of following him and letting him open up your eyes and your hearts to who he is in deeper and deeper ways because you will never reach the bottom. Jesus is so, so gracious and so merciful and so, so big that there's always more for us to learn from him. That that's, that's the nature of God is that he will, he will at our own pace reveal himself to us and this isn't just beginning with Jesus and these disciples. This is like Old Testament. Go back and think about God and Moses. 
There's the famous story of Moses asking God, I just want to see your face. I want to see your glory. And God basically tells him, um, this is Pastor Andy translation, um, no, because you'll end up like Raiders of the Lost Ark is what you're going to find out. When they open up the ark, you guys remember that scene? Face melts off and you just disintegrate. God tells Moses, that's what would happen to you because you can't handle my glory. It is so big and so powerful, you as a finite human being can't handle it. But what he does is he shows him a glimpse of it. He shows him kind of his back. He shows him kind of the back of his, his robe, his glory, and he's like, I'll show you this little glimpse of it. And it says it was so much that Moses glowed. He shone after seeing just that little bit of glory of God. And so Jesus, there's so much to him. And he promises that as you go through your life and dig into him, he will reveal more and more to you about who he is. And that's a promise of his, but also it's a loving invitation and and perhaps a challenge to you. Because you may be thinking, I went through confirmation class, I've been through the Bible studies in life. I know all about Jesus. I got it. I can answer the test. I know the answers. And you may feel really kind of content. And Jesus is, is lovingly challenging you and saying, there's more for you to know about who I am. Continue to press in. And as you do, things like peace, and joy and hope begin to come into your heart and mind. How many of us would love peace and joy and hope? I know I would. Jesus says that that's what happens as we press into him because we will never know everything. Why does this story matter? Another reason this matters is because in this story, we see that in the way God works in this world is that in God's kingdom, nobody's becomes somebody's. Nobodies become somebodies. So these two disciples, we know nothing about them. Like, we don't know anything about these disciples. We know one of their names, Cleopas. That's all we know. They're never mentioned again in the Bible. In church history, we have no idea who they are. And there's all kinds of theories that maybe it's a, it's a married couple. It's a husband and wife. Maybe it's a father and son. Maybe it's just two brothers or or just two friends. We don't know. And that's kind of the point, is that God reveals himself to to nobodies. He, He doesn't just reveal himself to the super spiritual, the super famous people like Peter and Paul. It's like they're the superstars. They know it. God overlooks the the nobodies, though, and this story reminds us that he reveals himself to the nobodies. And that in that, he takes you from being a nobody and takes you into somebody. Because you may feel like nobody else knows you, but you know who knows you? God knows you. There's billions upon billions of people in this world and that have lived on this planet. There's billions of Christians. You know who knows every single one of them? All about them? Who they are, their fears, their joys, their anxieties, their wants, their desires. You know who knows all of that? God does. You know who knows all of your joys, all of your worries, all of your anxieties, all of your wants? God does. And he takes you, and 
and he has woven you into his story of salvation. You. You, you may not think about that often, but that's an incredible, incredible gift. That, yeah, we may not be in the pages of the scriptures. Our name may not be written out in that. But God's story of salvation, of, of rescuing his world, it involves you. Because God has chosen you, a nobody. He's chosen me, a nobody. And he turns us into somebody that he is using to bring about his goodness and his kingdom in this world. Because that's how God works. He takes nobodies and turns them into somebodies. Why does this story matter? What's it mean for us? It means this, that we see how God works in the world. And this is really the key thing that these disciples found out. And this is really what Luke really wants us to know, is that God, the way he works in this world, is through suffering. That this is kind of like the central piece that these disciples clicked into their minds, is that God works through suffering. Which, which we don't think about. We think that, that when we suffer, when we go through that, those difficulties, that God isn't at work, that, that we're missing God, that he's not there. But, but this story shows us that, no, it's in those precise moments that God is doing his best work. Listen to verse 26 where it says this, as they were reflecting upon that, that Jesus failed, that he died, that because he was crucified, he wasn't the Savior. Jesus then says to this, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Jesus, in this moment, is giving his followers, you and me, a new way to view how God works in the world. That the way that God works in this world, we view it through the lens of the cross. We view the sufferings in this world through the lens of the cross, that this is how God chooses to work. This is how God does his best and greatest work, is through his cross. The thing that on the outside everybody looked at and thought, it's a failure, it's a dead end. God is absent. God was doing his greatest work of bringing salvation to you and me, and to everybody in the world, God was there doing his greatest work. And so Christians, we hold together these two opposing things that seem contradictory, that God works through death and resurrection. God works through rejection to bring salvation. God works through suffering to show his kingship and his power. We hold these things together, and we see that God is at work in all of this specifically in suffering. For Lutherans, we have a term for this, and so if you want to impress your friends, here you go. Lutherans, we call this, this way of viewing God at work through suffering the theology of the cross. Really, if you want to impress your friends later today, you can be like, hey, do you know about theology of the cross? Yeah. But basically it shows this, that God is at work through suffering. He's at work through the cross and that that's how we view God at work in our life. God is not just at work through the blessings and we think that God is only at work when it's successful, when I'm happy, when things are going great. Is God at work in those times? Yes. But he's even at work 
in the valley, in the loss, in the suffering, in the hardship. God is at work, and we can often say that God is doing his best work in that, through that. And you may, you may wrestle with that, and you may ask, why would God choose to work that way? Why would God work through suffering? And, and I think the reason is, is because in suffering, we see that sin is serious. In suffering, we see that death is serious. But even more so, because we have a Savior who went into that suffering, we see that our Savior is serious. That Jesus did not avoid suffering. That Jesus, the Son of God, faced the suffering of the entire world for you. There's a children's book that I think illustrates this truth. Uh, It's called Going on a Bear Hunt. Anybody hear that book? Yeah. So this actually, I don't know if it still holds it. it, it held the Guinness Book World Record for like largest like hearing, children's book hearing. Like there were like 1,500 kids hearing a book read and they had like 30,000 people online listening to it. And so it had like the Guinness Book of World Record of the, the biggest children's book reading and, and it tells a story about this dad and his kids and they're going on a bear hunt. And as they're going, they face a number of obstacles like bogs and rivers and all these other things that they come across and it's right in front of them and there's a refrain every single time. If you read the book, you might remember it. The refrain goes like this. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We've got to go through it. And that's what they did. The dad and his kids... They didn't go over, they didn't go under, they didn't avoid it, they went through it. And I think about this, and I think about what Jesus says to you and me, is that suffering will happen. And he says, don't try and avoid it, don't ask for it, but when it comes, we're called to go through it, knowing that Jesus went through it first. And that just like that father, he walks with us through it. But, but Jesus also says this, that as he went through it, he conquered it. Because we know that Jesus did not stay dead. He rose victoriously, conquering anything we face. And the promise is given to you that even though you suffer and you experience loss, you know that a resurrection is coming. You know that victory is accomplished for you. And so we know that even in suffering, God is at work. Why does this story matter? One, one final thing, though, as you reflect upon this, and this is really the great irony of the story, these disciples wondered, where is God? Feels like God is hiding. The irony of the story is this. Jesus was there all along. And that's really what it means for us today. Jesus was there all 
along. Listen to again these verses from verse 15 where they're walking along the road and it says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them when they had no idea it was him. And then later on in verse 29, it says that as they were going into their home, Jesus went in to stay with them when they had no idea it was him. And yet what happened? Jesus was there all along. Jesus was there the entire time, even though they didn't realize it, he was there all along. And so he says to you, when you think about when you were in the hospital, when everybody abandoned you and you felt alone, Jesus was there all along. When you think about that moment filled with guilt and shame, and it's one of the worst moments you may have felt in your life, when you look at your life or the world around you and you, you think, man, things are chaotic and I don't know, up from down, and you think about those moments where you're stressed, where you're anxious, Jesus was there all along. This story shows us the Savior we have. The Savior who says, I will show you who I am as you follow me. And, and though you don't get everything all at once, he will reveal himself to you at a pace you can absorb. He re- reveals himself to the nobodies, so doesn't matter who you are. You are chosen by God. God shows you that this Savior is one who works through suffering. He doesn't avoid it, but he goes through it for you. And we have a Savior who no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, we have a Savior who has been there all along. And he always will be. Amen.